Glory to God. If you're following with us, we're over in John chapter 15 to start off. While walking down the street one day, a U.S. senator was uh, tragically hit by a truck and he died. And his soul went on into heaven and he was greeted by Peter at the entrance. And Peter came out and he says, welcome to heaven. But before you settle in, it seems that there is a problem. You see, we seldom see such high-ranking officials like yourself here. And we're just not sure what to do with you. And the man said, the senator said, well, that's fine. Just let me in. He says, well, no, it's not quite that simple. <laughs> see, we have orders from on high. And uh, this is what we have to do. We have to, you have to spend your first day in hell. And your second day, you can come up here and spend it in heaven. And afterwards, then you can decide where you want to spend eternity. Well, the senator said, that's fine. I've decided right now I want to stay here in heaven. And he said, well, it's not up to you. You know, uh, you have to do this. So he escorted him over to the elevator and the elevator quickly took him right on down to hell. The doors opened up and he walks out into this lush green golf course. Over at the clubhouse are all his buddies. He sees them all over there. And so he, they all come on over and they all welcome him in. They, they tell him how great the place is. The weather is beautiful. They go out and they play a few rounds of golf. And this is just phenomenal. Before he can realize it, the day has passed and the elevator opened up and took him back upstairs and he spent another day in heaven. But hell was nothing like he thought it would be. And so he spent a day up in heaven and, you know, this was uh, spent playing the harp and, and doing some worship and, you know, floating around from a couple of different clouds. And it was a good time and, and it's before long the time had passed. And so Peter came up to him and he says, all right, it's time for your decision. Where would you like to spend eternity? And the man said, I really can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, I think I'd actually like to spend eternity in hell. And he said, well, that's fine. And so the elevator opened up and took him right on down into hell. The doors opened up and instead of the lush green golf courses, he saw garbage strewn about all over the place. The place looked a wreck. Uh, it just, it wasn't anything like it was the day before. And out came to greet him was the devil. And, and the man, the senator said, what happened to everything that was here yesterday? The lush green golf courses. All my buddies over there at the clubhouse. What happened to it all? He says, oh, that's easy. Yesterday we were campaigning. Today you voted. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, we've been talking about fruit. And the Word of God tells us that by your fruit you'll know them. <laughs> Well, that one seemed to be a little deceiving, but we did talk about wolves and sheep's clothing and such things like that, that that can come up. But the fruit, that's what you need to have to, to take a look at. What is the fruit? We want to wrap up this series here as we're getting down here to the end. And uh, first off, by going over to John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, we've already t talked on these things, just refreshing our memory. You must be fruit bearing in order for pruning to work because he prunes the ones who are bearing fruit and you bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Apart from God, we cannot bear fruit. We can put stuff out that looks like fruit. 
We can put out the lush green golf courses and the clubhouses and all that sort of stuff. We can put stuff out that looks like fruit, but it is not fruit. God knows the difference between one who is fruit bearing and one who is not. He knows the difference between those who are attached to the true vine and those who are attached to another vine. God wants us to be attached to the true vine and not any of the others. The others. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So we bring glory to the Father by bearing fruit. We spent time looking at what fruit was. We looked at the Galatians and we saw the difference between flesh and fruit. And God wants us to be fruit-bearing. He wants us to bear the fruit, which the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we saw a lot of characteristics of love. That if we are walking in the love of God, then self, or, or, yeah, self-control, goodness, gladness, joy, peace, long-suffering. These are things that will be part of our lives. They will be in us and we will produce this fruit. But we must be attached to the vine. This is not something that we have to try and, and push out, that we have to try and produce on our own. We produce it because we're attached to the vine. Too many Christians are trying to produce fruit on their own and have not learned what it is to be not only a, attached to the vine, but to abide in the vine. And so we spent some time looking at abiding and how we are to abide and to, to walk in those things. In verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So as soon as he begins to talk about bearing fruit, the first thing he gets into is love. love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So the second thing after love is joy. joy. Love, joy. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than you lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go to and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you. So fruit... And asking the Father seems to have a relationship. These things I command you that you love one another. We need to walk in the joy. We need to walk in the love. We need to, to have these things become part of us. And these are things also that Galatians had gotten into and talked about. But uh, as we were getting into the series, and I actually thought we, were already, we already had covered this verse in a little more detail than we had, but as I was looking through it, I saw that, well, we hadn't quite got into this quite as much, and we really need to spend some time in Second Peter chapter 1 to make sure we get all that he is teaching us about bearing fruit. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The corruption of the world is the, the flesh, the lust 
lust of the flesh, so forth. We want to walk in the areas of the fruit. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And we'll get into the things that you add here in just a minute. But he says, giving all diligence. The word there of diligence, just looking it up in the English dictionary, means constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Persistent exertion of the body or the mind. We, all, we really don't really need diligence to be defined for us, but I just wanted to put it in there so we see all the details of this word. Constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. So when he says, for this very reason, giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. He's not just talking about, you know, just casually going about making sure we're doing this. Giving all diligence. The word there for all means all every or the whole it lacks the article which means its translation is more going to be every so he's actually saying you know give every diligence we translate it this way and for this very cause having it added on your part every intense effort every intense effort that's what we have to that's something we have to add no one else can add that for you we've got to add it whatever it is that you want to do in life whether it be school, if, if you want to excel in school, then you have to put the intense effort into study, homework, the preparation, the reports, the things that go on there. You have to put intense effort into that. It doesn't just happen. People don't get to the top of the charts in the grades just because they showed up. You've got to put intense effort into it. If you want to have excelling in sports, then you've got to show up at practice and put in the intense effort. If any other skill that comes up and you want to be excelling in that, then you've got to put in intense effort. If you don't put in intense effort, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. You're going to get a, a lackluster result. You've got to put intense effort into it. And that's what he's saying here. Again, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Have every Intense effort. God does not supply that, folks. We do. We have to supply the effort. And he says, add to your faith. We uh, continue the translation this way. Provide lavishly in your faith. Provide lavishly in your faith. Put a, put a bunch into it. Add a whole lot into it. Add lavishly. Put Put all that you can. Don't just get in there with barely get a, just enough to, to get it. No, put in there lavishly. Provide lavishly in your faith. So verse 5 again. But also for this very reason, given all diligence, add or provide lavishly to your faith virtue. Now the virtue he speaks about here, he referred back over here in verse 3. In verse 3, as the divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Virtue means any excellence of a person in body or mind or of a thing. Any excellence of a person in body or mind or of a thing. An eminent endowment, property, or quality. It is used of the human mind when it speaks of the mind in an ethical sense. But otherwise it's talking about as far as a person or a thing. Something of excellence. Any excellence of a person or 
of a thing. So when he says to add glory and virtue, add glory and add excellence. And we talk, we spent some time talking about excellence and how if we want to have an excellent product, you have to bring in excellent ingredients. If you don't bring in excellent ingredients, you don't get an excellent product. You've got to have excellence in whatever you put into yourself. You've got to make sure that you do that. That's on your, your end. No one else can do that. If you're going to do a report for school, if you don't put excellent things in the report, then you don't get a very excellent result, do you? We've got to put excellence in. Even in prayer, the Word of God tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It says nothing about long ones. Sometimes we think that we have, we'll get more if we pray. Well, I need to pray for this thing for at least an hour. Who says? Give me one example in the Word of God of someone who got a better result because they spent longer in prayer. We don't get that. But we have that in our mind because, well, I need to put the time in. No, you just put excellence in. Amen. Jesus got somebody to get up out of the grave with a very short prayer to God, which, which he didn't even say anything about the guy in the grave. Just, Father God, I thank you that you hear me always. And then he starts talking to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus accomplished a whole lot of things with one sentence statements and one sentence prayers. The long prayers that he had was when he's just communing and talking with God. Don't think that if you're going to get something done, you're going to get it done for your long prayers. Remember, Jesus taught that the Pharisees thought that. You think you're going to get it in because of your long prayers. <laughs> nope. Not going to happen. No the will of the Father. Know what He says and pray with faith. And it doesn't have to be long. If you think I have to have a long prayer in order to get it done, you're in a works righteousness mode. And that's why it's not working. Because you don't accomplish things through works. You accomplish it through faith. Not through works. Get the works thing out. Got to work that out. Long prayers. If we're praying a long time for the same thing, we're probably trying to work for it. Just trying to work for it in our prayers. But he says that, that to your faith. You already got faith. God gave to everyone a measure of faith. He says, take that faith. And now I want you to add to that faith excellence, virtue. You add excellent things to that faith. I gave you the faith. The faith I gave you was good. How many of y'all know if you got something from God, it's good. It's not bad. He doesn't give poor quality stuff. He gives good quality things. If he gave you a diamond, you don't have to take it to a jeweler to find out it's perfect. If he gave you gold, you don't have to take it anywhere to find out it's pure gold. You know, if God gave it to you, it's good. If he gave you faith, he gave you pure faith. So take that faith that he already gave you, add to it virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. The word there for knowledge is the word for experiential knowledge. This is not Oida knowledge is not knowledge that you have all at once. This is knowledge you gain by experience. Walking with God. Walking in your faith. And you're gaining experience. And you walk in that experience. So he says, add to your faith virtue. To the excellence that you bring in, add to that knowledge. To knowledge, he said, add self-control. Self-control. Know what? I mean, it's called self-control. You know why? Because <laughs> you do it yourself. <laughs> no one else does it. If it's self-control, then no one else can cause you to lose it, can they? <laughs> I mean, if it's self-control, no one else can cause you to lose it. If someone else causes you to lose it, it's not their fault because it's self-control. 
I had it. I provided. If I lose control of myself, it is my fault. Stop blaming it on your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or your cat, dog, whatever it might be. Don't, don't blame them. It's not their fault. If you lose self-control, it is my problem. I did it myself. No one else did it. And I've got to come to grips with that. It's not because you were in a bad mood. <laughs> it's not because you were having a bad day. It's because you lost control. Just get sit there. Well, I lost. Well, I lost that one. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. But you hear the people. Well, they made me. Well, if you hadn't been. <laughs> well, you didn't know what I was going through. Hmm. No. But you got to bring it. You got to add it. God gave you the faith to start off. Add to that excellence, virtue. Add to that knowledge by experience. Add to that self-control. Add to that perseverance. That's patience. Patience speaks about you. Patience is not gritting your teeth and burying it. Patience is maintaining joy and peace in the midst of trials. That's patience. If you're sitting there gritting and burying, say, oh, oh, hurry up, God, I'm going to run out of patience. That's not patience. That's just gritting your teeth and burying it. Patience is not burying it. No, you've got to get in there and hold on. Father God, I thank you. I'm holding on to joy. I'm holding on to peace. I'm staying just like you made me, no matter what it is that's going around me. Glory to God. Self-control, perseverance, or patience. Add to that godliness. Godliness. I mean, God's already God. But we got to take what we see in Him and we got to add it to ourselves. I got to become like God. I see that as an aspect of God. I need to add that. I need to do this. I need to add to myself godliness. Got to become more like God. Don't, don't sit around there and wait for the people to do it. You do it. So add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control, to self control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness. Now, brotherly kindness is really exactly what it says. Weiss translates it this way. Affection for the brethren. This is not talking about loving the unsaved. It's talking about loving believers. Because sometimes they're pretty tough. Sometimes it's believers that make us lose self-control. <laughs> we're not walking in self-control and we're not walking in brotherly kindness. We've got to have affection for the brethren. Oh, but they shouldn't be doing that. They should know better. Affection for the brethren. We've got to help them to grow up. Sometimes you've got to be a little tough with them in that affection. Sometimes you've got to just be loving. But you've got to listen to God. Don't listen to your bad mood. Don't listen to how your day's been going as to what you're, how you're going to respond. That's not it. That's not self-control. That's not patience. Perseverance. Add to all these things brotherly kindness. You've got to add to it. Don't sit there and say, Oh, Father God, help me to love the brethren. He's saying, Add it. <laughs> add it. Oh, God, add to me self-control. Oh, it's so much easier to just pray and ask God because if it's not here, it's His fault. Right? <laughs> I mean, if, God, I've been praying for self-control for a long time. You just haven't provided it yet. As soon as you do, I'll walk in it. No, that's not it. <laughs> we got to add it. He added to us the faith. We add to it excellence, virtue. We add to it self-control. We add to it perseverance. We add to it godliness. And we add to it brotherly kindness. Love the brethren. 
That's what we got to do. And then he says, uh, beside that, add love. The word there is agape. This is, of course, divine love. This is love that is based upon the nature of the person giving the love, not the nature of the person receiving the love. Walk in agape love. Divine love. These are the things that we'll do. So he lists seven things here that we should have in us. Beside the faith, there's virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. These are the things that we should be adding. We need to add them to our faith. And go back again to verse 5. Giving all diligence, add. Giving that intense effort. I gotta put that intense effort out there. I got, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk in self-control. I'm gonna walk in brotherly kindness. I'm gonna walk in divine love. I'm gonna walk in godliness. This is what I'm choosing to walk this way. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna walk in it. Give all diligence. All. Every bit of diligence you can put in there, you put it in. God wants you to put it all in there. Now we're gonna look at verse 8. For if these things are yours, for if these things are yours, what does that mean? If these things are yours. Now, first off, he says, add to your faith. So it's not there, is it? So I got to add to it. I got to add to it virtue, excellence. I got to add to it self-control, goodness or or godliness, uh, all these different things. I got to add that into it. For if these things are are yours if they are yours what does that mean I mean it's not forced it's not forced it's a natural expression now i put in your outline this there's a difference between having a thing and owning it there's a difference between having a thing and owning it taking ownership of it I'll give you some examples how many of you have ever taken a language how many of you have the knowledge of the language how many of you own it? I had a, a, our, our Greek teacher down at uh, King's College. He knew a lot of languages. Uh, and, and several of them were dead languages. Not spoken anymore. Greek was one of them. But he, he knew them. And uh, he would tell us, I think it was him, it was either he who told us or else it was P.C. Nelson, if you remember him. PC, one of them has said, the way that you know, if you know a language, if you got hold of it, is when you can think in it. If you can think in that language. I mean, most times when I was taking Spanish, I'm thinking in English and figuring out how to say it in Spanish. Isn't that what you did? But when you can think in the language, oh man, you got a hold of that language. That's telling you something. You can, you can think in that thing. There's a difference between having a thing and owning it. Have an art. How many have ever seen some people who are just so good with, with a pencil, or charcoal, or paint. They can just come up to an empty empty uh, canvas and just in a matter of minutes put something on there. You say, wow. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody do that? I mean, oh, it is just breathtaking to see somebody coming up and to do that. And then you find somebody else who's taken some art classes. And you give them an empty slate, you know, and they, they labor with it 30 minutes, 45 minutes, a couple of hours, a few days. And they can't come up with anything as good as this person did in five minutes. That person owns that talent of being an artist. They own it. Oh, you don't, you don't have to go out to them and say, uh, 
if you give them a blank slate, they say, well, you know, give me some ideas. I don't really have any ideas of what to do. No. You give them a blank slate, they're just waiting. They're bursting forth with ideas. They have all kinds of ideas. Just give me a place to put it on. And they, they go to town. They own that thing. Have it writing. There are some people that you can, you can think all day long about how to write something, how to say something. And then other people, oh, just say it that way. <laughs> it's come so easy to them. And you hear what they say. Oh, boy, that, that is perfect. There's a difference between having some of these talents and owning the thing. This is what he says. For if these things are yours. There's a difference between having brotherly kindness and owning it. There's a difference between having godliness and owning the thing. There's a difference between having experiential knowledge of God and owning the thing. There's a difference. He says here, and start off in verse 8, For if these things are yours, and he's saying things, he's meaning all the ones he just listed. So don't sit there and say, well, I've got that one and that one. I should be pretty good, pretty well off. He wants you to have all these things. Because he says, if you have virtue, add to it knowledge. If you have the knowledge, once you start walking that knowledge, now add to it. And he keeps saying, now, once you have that, add to this. You get some more, add to that. So he's showing you a progression here of things. It starts off with virtue and excellence. Add that in there first. Determine whatever I do, it's going to be with excellence. I'm going to do it well. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it well. There's a difference between having a thing and owning it. There are some who know a language and there are those who developed, develop it. This is what we need to walk in. We need to own these things. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, For if you, these things are yours and abound. If these things are yours and abound. Now when we translate this, he translates the word abound to superabound. Not having just enough, but super abounding. Super abounding. That's going over and above. Now, now you can tell somebody if they're doing a thing, if they're performing in an area, you can tell if they, they pretty much hit their limit, can't you? How many of you in gym class when you were in elementary school, maybe even college, I don't know if they did that in anything in college, they didn't mind, but say in gym class in, in high school, how many remember having to do push, uh, pull-ups? I think we all had to do pull-ups at some point. You know, and pull-ups are tough. Something, I remember being in gym class and people were out there doing pull-ups and some of them couldn't even do one. They couldn't do one. They, they couldn't pull up one time. Zero. You got part of the way up and that was it. Now, I don't know if they lacked the intense effort or they just couldn't do it. And then other people would get up there and they would do, you know, five. And then other ones would get up there and they, you know, ten. And then you had some guys up there and sometimes there's a goal. Hit the goal. Here's the goal. If you get 20 pull-ups, you have an A. I don't know what the numbers were. I'm just throwing out numbers. If you got 20 pull-ups, you got an A. If you got 15 pull-ups, you got a B. If you got 10, whatever it was, they would have numbers there. And so they would have 20. And some of those folks would get up there to do the pull-ups. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Bang. Down. Done. I don't think they were close to their max. They didn't show any sign of slowing down. The first one was just as fast as number 20. 
They didn't slow down at all. And they don't even look like they're, they're winded when they're done. Did you have anybody in your gym class who's able to do I was not one of those. But maybe you had somebody in your gym class who was able to, to rattle off whatever the A was, rattle them off, and bang, they were done. And, you know, what else you want me to do? Well, they didn't come close to their max, did they? They abounded in the strength to accomplish the pull-ups. They abounded in it. They weren't just getting along. Some other person could get up there and they could, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. <laughs> and eventually, you know, you're waiting there and you're waiting and you're wondering, are they going to make it? And they're, they're pulling up, just oh, almost there, almost there, almost, almost. And they get 20 and they just, they fall down, they collapse. That's their max, isn't it? But they got the same grade as the guy who just rattled them right off. One person super abounded and one person barely had enough. See, a lot of times we're content with having just enough. I had enough self-control that I didn't lose my cool. I had enough brotherly kindness that everybody in the room thought I liked that person. But we didn't super abound. He says here, if these things are yours and abound. If these things are yours and abound. If you start a, a phrase off it with if, or in this case, for if, then you are giving what is called in math class a conditional phrase. There's a condition on it. If this and this is true, then this. If then, I remember your if then statements and if then statements you could have in science class, you could have in a math class, stuff like that. If this and this is true, then this will happen or this is true or, or whatever. And so what he's saying, he's listed out all these, these categories, all these things that we need to do, things we need to add to our faith. For if you what? For if these things are yours and abound. If they are, you, they are yours, but they don't abound, is this statement true? No. They must be yours, and they must abound. abound. For if these things are yours, and abound. Now, go back over here to the list again. Add to faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. How many of you would say that on a day-to-day basis, you focus on these seven things? Don't want to raise your hand. Didn't ask you to. But how many would say that you focus on these seven things on a regular basis? How am I doing? How am I doing in this area? Now, there are things in your own life that you know if they abound... You're in good shape. For one thing, how many of you like to abound in the amount of money in your bank account? How many of you focus on that on a nearly daily basis? You know what's in... I mean, I'm not saying you obsess over it, but you focus on it. You know how much you're abounding in the bank account. We got a pretty good idea. If somebody were to come up to you and say, how much you got in your bank account? Maybe you wouldn't tell them because it's none of their business, but if you would tell them... You would be able to know about, well, it's this amount. You'd be pretty, pretty close to it. You focus on it, right? 
How many of you have an idea, most days, how much gas is in your car? Is it not important that we abound with gas in our cars? Because if no gas, we don't get to work. We don't get to work, we don't abound in the checking account. <laughs> so there's reason for that. How about in the area of your home? In, the, in all the cold weather that came, thank God we got some warm weather coming up here now, but when it was colder weather... It depends on your heating source. If you have oil heat, how many of y'all know you want to abound in the amount of oil in the tank? We had a home we had before had oil heat to it. And we had to make sure that there was enough oil in the heater because otherwise you'd wake up in the morning one day and the house is cold. It happened to us a couple of times. Oh, we forgot to check. We didn't focus on that. And in our, in our case there, there was no hot water. And there's no heat. House is cold. So you got to get out there. You got to find some, some oil or some kerosene and put it into the tank and get it all primed up and ready to go and, and get started again and, and get things moving. But you have to make sure that there's an, a, a supply there. If you have natural gas, well, it's somebody else's job to make sure that there's a supply there. If you have electric heat for the home, it's somebody else's job. We have, have chosen, even though our home is electric, we've chosen to do most of our heating with wood. And the reason for that is because we can have one room that's nice and warm so the women in the home could come over into the warm room and be warm. <laughs> and this way we didn't have to make the whole house warm. We could have a warm room in which if people became cold, they could come into the very warm room and warm up and then go about their business and, and do other things like that. Now, it made the upstairs cold. So our, our upstairs is generally below 60 degrees. Generally. I mean, the heat does go up the stairs and it does do some things. It does get on up there. But generally, if you're going to go upstairs, you're in the blankets. It's not a big deal. Not, not, not real important. As long as the pipes don't freeze, you're in good shape there. We're okay. But you have to make sure that you super abound in wood. You must have enough wood to, uh, to accomplish this because we burn through a lot of wood. The last couple of years, we have burned through six cores of wood, wood per year. Now, that's a lot of wood. You have to bring in all that wood. You have to stack all that wood. And generally, you like to try and do that during the warmer months. But it never comes, never fails. You know, we, we don't have places to put six cords of wood in the summertime. And so we usually get, you know, two or three cords and put that away. And then once that goes down, then we start bringing in one or two more cords. And in the middle of winter, snow on the ground, whatever it is, Christian and I are out there and we're hauling there because they just take the wood and they just dump it over in the, on the, in the, uh, driveway and then we've got to drive it on around and get it all to different places put it in different spots stack it up so that we're good to go and and ready to to go for a while if it's christian's preference we would do it all when it was warm he's not a big fan i'm not a big fan either doing it when it's cold out but uh it is that we like the benefit of having the really warm room instead of the heat pump my wife has never been a fan of heat pumps she always says she feels cold so this is a way we accomplish that and ends up being cheaper in the long run, then that's why it's, uh, it's worthwhile doing that. But you have to make sure that you abound because if you run out of wood, it's not something that you just call up and get. You can call up and maybe you'll get it today, maybe you'll get it tomorrow, and, but you have to uh, abound in it. So there's some things in our life, and I'm just going through all that just to show you. There are some things in our life that we stay focused on all the time to make sure that there's plenty of supply. Clean laundry would be another one. How many of us are conscious about what is clean and what is dirty? About how much is clean and how much is dirty? 
and when we need to get involved in changing that. How about the, the amount of food in the home? The amount of clean dishes? All these things are things that we begin to think about and we want to make sure that we have. Well, in our Christian walk, we should be just as focused on these things. What is our level of brotherly kindness? Divine love. How about godliness, perseverance, self-control, knowledge, experiential knowledge of God? How are we doing in these things? Because he says, if these things are yours and abound, if you, these things belong to you, you own them and they abound. If these things are yours and abound, that's the condition. You cannot claim the rest of this verse unless you do the first part because it's an if-then statement. Your science teacher didn't invent these. God did. <laughs> For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if these things, these seven things, are yours and abound, you have added to them liberally, abundantly, you have put them into your life, you will neither... You will be neither barren nor unfruitful. If you focus on putting these things into your life, it will be impossible for you to be barren or unfruitful in the things of God, in the knowledge of God. For if these things are yours, first off, they're not forced, they're natural, natural expression. It's just part of you. It's just... It's just part, of, it's just who you are. We, we don't think about speaking in English most times, do we? It's just part of us. We just, we just speak it. I would have to think and concentrate to speak in another language. But not English. I can speak that. So again, we put this in there as, as superabounding. You can tell when someone is close to their limit. We talked about the getting close to their limit. Make sure that you're not close. If you find situations, well, you were, it's testing your knowledge of God. It's testing the godliness that is in you. It's testing the excellence that is in you. It's testing the self-control, the perseverance. If it's testing, and you're getting real close, oh man, I'm almost at the breaking point on this one. Guess what? You don't abound. You're not abounding. If we feel like we are about to break, then we are not abounding. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Neither barren nor unfruitful. Now, let me read you the whole translation of this verse. For if these things are your natural and rightful possession and are in superabundance, so they constitute you and you are not idle. I'm sorry. So they so constitute you that you are not idle nor unfruitful in the experiential knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the effect it will have on you. It sounds like a good effect to me. We ought to go after it. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things. So the first eight is about those for who abound in these things. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things. Now, how many of you think that lacking is good? Anybody want to be on the lacking side? For he who lacks these things. Those seven things. If you are lacking in those seven things, if you're lacking in the area of brotherly love, if you're lacking in the area of godliness, if you're lacking in the area of perse perseverance, Self-control. If you're lacking in those areas, you'll be short-sighted even to blindness. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Short-sighted. What is short-sighted? 
A short-sighted person is a person who can only see the, the things in front of them. How many times when you were dealing with your kids or when your parents were dealing with you, did they accuse you or would you accuse your kids of being short-sighted? Well, you shouldn't spend all your money on candy. I mean, what if you want to save up for something really good? What are they being? Short-sighted. Do they see it? No. I mean, how many times have we had conversation with them? Don't spend it on that. Don't go after that. that that's, not, that's not so good. That's not going to help you out. Because they become short-sighted. They're short-sighted. How many times have we had discussions with kids about staying up at late, late at night? They want to stay up until 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But you know they have to get up for work or get up for school the next day. And what do you tell them? You're going to be tired tomorrow. I mean, that's not really being real long-sighted, but it's certainly being long-sighted, more long-sighted than they are. You're going to be tired tomorrow. You're trying to get them to look past now. All right, you're having fun. You want to stay up late. But tomorrow comes. What happens in the morning when you stay up until 2 or 3 o'clock and the alarm goes off at 6 a.m.? <laughs> no good thing. <laughs> you are tired. And you don't feel like getting up. And then you don't feel like getting up, you're late for school. And you miss a class. And you miss a test. Or you, you miss something. And you get there and you have all this problem going on. Oh, 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 this is so hard. Oh, oh, dear Lord, help me out on this thing. God says, he tried to warn you. I even sent people. They tried to warn you. What are you doing over here? Oh, we get all messed up. We get short-sighted. Because we're focusing on the now and not on the Long range. And so what he is telling you is this. When you get so caught up in the now that you lose self-control, you are becoming short-sighted. You are not focusing on the long-range implication. You are focusing on it right now. I'm frustrated. Right now, I'm aggravated with this person. And God's saying, no, no, no. you gotta, you got to look beyond. Because if you have these things in you and they abound, this happens. But if you lack, and we haven't even gotten to the really, really good verse yet. If you lack, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Not will become. Not might become. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. If you take a look at any of those seven things and you say, I am short on any of those things, just look yourself in the mirror and say, you are a short-sighted Christian. You are a short-sighted believer. Because that's what he says right here. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. How many of you, up until now, would have called yourself a blind Christian? But if you lack these things, you are short-sighted even to the point of blindness. Well, when you talk to that child who's staying up, wants to stay up until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and you try and tell them, tomorrow you still have to get up at 6 Six thirty, seven o'clock, whatever time it is, you still have to do that. Oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. They are short-sighted, and you're saying they don't see it. They don't see what they're going to feel like in the morning. They don't see what's going to happen. Now it's different when you're up until two or three o'clock in the morning for a reason outside of your control, and that you have to take care of something. Emergency came up, or you're working late, or something like that. That's different, isn't it? I'm not being short-sighted. I'm taking care of what I have to do right now. But when I'm just staying up, goofing off, playing video games, watching movies, 
hanging out. I could be sleeping. I could be getting myself ready for the next day, right? He who lacks these things. I mean, we've all had, haven't we all had late shifts? And some of the things we worked out, haven't we had late shifts? We've had times that we were working and then somebody else called out and they said, can you stay? You ever been in there with that, with that one? Can you stay? Uh, well, yeah, but I'm on for the next day. I know, but can you stay? <laughs> can you please? We're, we're, we, we need somebody. You know, when I had that more often when I was in the pizza place, if I was on for the day shift and somebody called out in the night shift, they would say to me, Steve, can you stay? Well, you know, the morning shift starts at about 7 o'clock in the morning and you get off somewhere around 4 and then they say, can you stay? And then you go from 4 o'clock and then you stay until as long as they want. Maybe it's 8 o'clock, get you through the rush. Maybe it's 10 o'clock, we get you to uh, more, a little bit beyond that. Or maybe they want you until closing. There have been times I work from 7 in the morning until 3 a.m. More, 3 the next day. And then got up and got in there for 7 a.m. the next, next morning for a next start. Now, that wasn't being short-sighted. I knew what was coming, but I also knew we, we had a problem here and we had to take care of it. And they paid me good overtime. So it was, uh, it was worthwhile. But that's not short-sighted. We're not saying that if, if you just do something like that, you're short-sighted. But when you are focusing on the now and the thing I'm getting here now, and I'm not, ah, I'll, be, I'll be fine. No, that's being short-sighted. There are times that you'll have to do some things and go against your better judgment now in order to take care of a situation. You know, if your wife's going to have a baby and she goes into labor at 1 a.m., you don't say to her, you know, I really have to be at work for a meeting tomorrow. Can you wait? <laughs> That's not going to work. And besides that, she's now she's mad at you and having a baby. <laughs> so you, you don't want to go through that. There's some things you just can't, you can't turn around. You just have to go through with it. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, you can do some meditating on that verse. But if you are short-sighted on those other things, the reason for it that Peter gives is because you are short-sighted forgetting that you were forgiven. If you don't walk in self-control, perseverance, loving the brethren, walking in godliness, adding virtue, knowledge, experience and knowledge of God, you don't add these things. He is saying, you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. Now, you can sit there and argue all you want. No, that's not the reason. I know, that's not the reason. Well, then you argue with the Bible. You argue with the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired Peter to write this. You get on up to heaven. You take, that was wrong. You should not have written that. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. If he wrote it in there, I'm, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the reason. Okay. <laughs> it's not like, you know, when mom and dad give you a reason. If you, if you do that, that's why you did it. No, it's not. You know, we might argue with mom and dad some, but don't argue with God. It does not benefit you. It is not good. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Be even more diligent. He's already talked about diligence before. Adding all diligence. Now be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. How many of you would like the fact, never stumble? Never. Never. You know what never means? Never. Not at all. Never. If you were a football team 
And the opposition never scored on you. Never. Is that a good feat? That's a good feat, isn't it? If you run a cash register for a business and you never were short on your drawer. Never. Never. If you were never short with a customer. Never. <laughs> never. It means never. Not even once. Never. If you never forgot where you put stuff. Never. Never. <laughs> if you never ran short of money in your bank account. Never. Never. You get the meaning of this word? <laughs> never. You will never stumble. Can you see some benefit in that? Some benefit in never stumbling. How many of you have ever stumbled in the, in the natural? Stumbled. Oh, yes. We stumble. You fall. I mean, sometimes you, you stumble and you go into a full head. Fall and oh, all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's, it's not good. Stumbling is not good. There's no benefit in stumbling. You've never come home one day and said, you know, I just wish I stumbled a little bit more today. <laughs> We've never done that. But he says you will never, never, never stumble if we do these things. Do you think we should put more attention into these seven things to make sure that we abound in those things? Those things? Because if we own them, and they abound. <laughs> Good things. Good things. Good things. Glory to God. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Make your call and your election sure. This is talking about the area of salvation. And all you got to do for that? <laughs> How do, you, how do you make your call and your election? You're, you're calling into, into the family of God? I don't know that he's necessarily talking about your specific calling as to what you're going to do. But we've all been called into the family. We've all been elected and we can spend time on all those things, what they mean, and not always what the Baptist folks teach us and what I learned as a Baptist child growing up. You know, God picks certain ones over here to be saved and these ones over here to go on to hell. Well, that's just not right. That's not the God that I serve. And that's not the God that's in the Word of God. Obviously, we misunderstood some things. And... But be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll never be greeted by Peter saying, well, you know, there's a problem. Never have that problem at all. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. If it's an abundant supply, guess what? You don't barely get in. If you don't barely get in, you don't wonder. It's like the guy who's going to go up and do the 20 pull-ups and he's thinking, man, I do 100 of these a night. This is no problem. This is not even. He's got abundant supply to get that done. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. Weiss translates verse 10 this way. Wherefore, brethren, exert yourselves the more and bend every effort. Exert yourselves the more and bend every effort. 
For if you do these things, you will never stumble. If you do these things, you will never stumble. That's where we want to get to be at. The fruit that we have in our life, folks, has an effect on all kinds of places. When we stop focusing on the fruit, we become short-sighted. And we're not seeing the long picture. God's main thing for us is that we produce fruit. His main thing is not that we get people saved. But He says, if you produce fruit, we didn't even get to cover that much of it too much, but what causes people to like fruit trees? I mean, how many people do you know that don't like fruit? I'm always picking on vegetables. But I never pick on fruit. I mean, fruit, it's sweet. It's naturally sweet. It's good for you. It's like dessert. Fruit's good. I mean, how many of you like those, those fruit cups? One of my favorite is you go over to some of those places and do the, the yogurt and the granola and the fruit. Oh, I'll take that over ice cream any day. Oh, I love those things. Oh, they are so good. What a way to eat fruit. And there's blueberries and there's strawberries. and Oh, they're so good. Now, Naz won't take that over ice cream. But maybe after ice cream, <laughs> he would enjoy the yogurt parfaits and things like that. Oh, but but nice bowl of fruit. And I told you before, one of the things my... Uh, one of my aunts used to make for us when we would go over to her house. She was lived in Jersey, uh, had a blueberry farm, and lots of blueberries. Blueberry farms have lots of blueberries. She had lots of blueberries, <laughs> more blueberries than anyone would ever need. And uh, now I don't know if she raised them or she just was out near the blueberry farms. But however it was, all I cared about was that the aunt had the blueberries. <laughs> and she would take some of the blueberries, put them in the freezer. And she would pull the frozen blueberries out of the freezer and she'd put them into a bowl for us and then put milk on them and the milk would defrost the the blueberries and the blueberries would freeze the milk. And we'd sit there with a spoon and just eat the blueberries and the milk. And that was never would have thought in my life that would have been good, but mm, boy, that was good. We used to love going over there and waiting for the blueberries to come on out. Now, I heard some other things that she made that were not as good, but they didn't involve fruit. My dad has a story about some vegetables over there that will give you good reasons to not like vegetables. <laughs> she, used to, she made for him a, um, a green tomato pie. He used to always tell us a story about that green tomato pie. And uh, his, his philosophy in life was, if you got something you didn't like, get it out of the way first. And so he got out of the way and got out of the way fast. And she saw that he ate the green tomato pie up so fast. <laughs> oh, you obviously like that. Here, have some more. <laughs> so... Don't eat anything too fast. If you don't like it, you may get more. <laughs> That's not so good. But people like, like fruit. And people will be drawn to the fruit in your life. They will see the peace. They will see the joy. They will see the self-control. They will see the patience, the perseverance. They will see these things in your life and they say, Wow. That's not something they put on. That's who they are. How did they get to be like that? And then they begin to come over and say, how is it that this is who you are? You're always patient with people. You're always loving. You are always kind. There is just good in you. How is that? People are drawn to fruit. And that's why when he gives a story about the vine, he doesn't talk about production. He talks about fruit. Produce the fruit. And people will see the fruit 
And they will be drawn to your life. They will ask questions. And they will say, I like some of that. Can you pass some of that fruit over here? They like to be around fruit. They like to be around you because there's a sweetness to you. Something satisfying. They want to be around you. God wants you to produce fruit because if you do, you bring Him glory. And it's a good benefit for us as well. For if you have these things, then they abound. Focus on these things. You should take these seven things and make them prominent in your life. What is my level of godliness? How am I doing in the area of perseverance? How is my self-control? What's going on here? You should be mindful of them. Because if we are, good things come. Good things. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. You are such an awesome God. We love you. And we want to produce the fruit that brings you glory. Glory be to your name. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. You have given us faith. And we want to add to that faith all these things. We want to add to our faith virtue. The virtue, the knowledge, experiential knowledge of God. And all the other things, Father. We want to keep adding them into our life. We want to be focused. We want to keep them prominent. We want to always know what is our level in this area. Am I super abounding? in a spot. Have I come into some things that have shown that I just barely had enough to get through? And if so, I need to focus on that area. I need to add and I need to do it with all diligence, with every diligence, with every intense effort. I need to add these things. They're crucial. They're important for me. Thank you for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.